Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. a good football show i am matt straup it is thursday june 9th apparently there are now less than three months to go until the kickoff of the 2022 nfl season and today we'll be breaking down some of the latest headlines and their fantasy impact we're also going to be taking a look at the most overrated and overdrafted players of 2022 i am joined by denny carter lawrence jackson pat corain guys i want to start this by getting your opinion on something that happened yesterday as you may know i also host a basketball podcast for nbc sports edge called round ball stew and yesterday, one of my co-hosts, Ryan Knaus, was running a little late for the podcast. He he said he was eating a very hot bowl of soup right beforehand, so he poured milk in it to cool it down so he could chug it and finish it. Now, I should add, this is a potato leek soup, so it's not like it was milk into chicken noodle or something like that, but I wanted to get your thoughts on this and if you have ever had or done any similarly strange food maneuvers, because that one kind of blew me away. Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> You'd have to be very desperate. I mean, it would have to be scalding nuclear hot in order to, to, to pour the milk in there. It sounds like something, I mean, no offense, you know, to Mr. Canals, but no, you know, no, it sounds like something my, my daughter would do, you know, would say, oh, it's too hot. Put some milk in it. So, you know, that's, that's my, my initial thought. I'll allow it. I mean, the type of soup is very important here. You know, yeah. I was worried you're going to say like minestrone or something. You, you can't, <laughs> right. you gotta, you gotta have the right base. But uh, yeah. I do hope it was uh, was whole milk or some. I you know if this he was said it was whole milk. milk. Okay, he said whole, totally he said whole. fine. Like he he probably it was it was a he had to react quick. It was a quick situation. Self auditor went with the ice cubes, man. But <laughs> since mm. a, but but since I'm a water and cereal guy, I ain't got too much to say about that. Oh, <laughs> okay. Now we're wait a second. You have inadvertently led me where I was going to go next, Lawrence, because. <laughs> When I was a kid, I was at my grandfather's house, and for some reason, either like the milk was bad or it was a dairy farm, and my mom was nervous about me drinking milk from real cows or something. I don't know what it was, unpasteurized milk or something, but I, I started drinking, uh, eating cereal with apple juice on it, and it like short-circuited something in my brain, and I did that for most of my childhood. But you're at water on cereal, guy? water you know no taste but you still get the, the moisture and the wetness wow and you, just, you gotta pour it in right this is the worst part <laughs> <laughs> this is horrific you still get the sogginess you still, get the soggy you still make it soggy you know am i hallucinating right now you get the full taste you get the full taste of the cereal right there when you do you water no extra flavors i'm blown away i mean i thought that, you know the water thing was one is one deal but then matt said oh i put apple juice in my in my uh cereal what's that going on good with apple jacks though <laughs> I, I like cereal. cereal dry you can you when can i go grew up there's a cereal called life cereal you guys may not know about this a very popular cereal in the 19 19- whatever in in a certain decade and <laughs> apple juice on life cereal was where it was at but once you've done once you've tried apple juice on it then you start to kind of take a step further i think I've you're done, out of I apple remember, juice i remember there being juice. an incredibly striking taste as a child i believe i've done apple juice on cereal and it being like well <laughs> i didn't stick with it though wow I'm going straight to dump some water on some cereal right after this. So I can you, tell listen, you, that. you can't you can't do that apple juice stuff in this economy. Yeah, it's, hey, look, it's, hey, exactly. Water free. Water, kind of, kind water, of, kind of. Theoretically, yeah. Yeah, I might have a water bill. I need to look into that. Exactly. I I That's why I say kind bill. of. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I feel like we've already covered a lot of ground, but it's not why we're here today. Let's get into a few recent headlines, guys, and we are going to get into overdrafted and overrated players in a minute, but a few headlines first. Let's start in LA. The Rams, as we probably know by now, signed Cooper Cup to a three-year extension through 2026, basically a new five-year, $110 million deal. As we know, he just had an absurd season last year, 145 catches, 
1,947 yards and 16 touchdowns. It's weird to even say those numbers out loud. We also know he's about to turn 29. Uh, now, Danny, repeating last year's numbers seems like too much to ask of anyone who just did that. But either way, do we feel we do we feel good uh, about taking Cup with the top three pick right now, which is where he's going? I feel fine about it. I mean, I, I do kind of struggle between him and Justin Jefferson. I I often I really want to take Jefferson over. Mm-hmm over cup but you know cups usage and 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 crane and i talked about this last year i feel like at least a couple times his usage as like a short area target and a red zone weapon and a downfield guy like that's that's hard to top it doesn't like it doesn't really matter what you think of them like that that sort of usage is difficult to find it i i would say impossible to find so um i i might feel foolish taking jefferson over cup eventually I don't think you have to take Jefferson over Cup. Uh, it's one of those things where Jefferson sometimes goes after Chase. So if you want to get heavy on Justin Jefferson, it's pretty easy. Like I'm at this point, I'm like I might be a little too heavy on Justin Jefferson. I, I should probably take some more Chase. Cup is harder to get because, like, you know, I like Christian McCaffrey as well. So uh, I'm taking Cup over Jefferson just to kind of help even everything out. The market's like not making me really choose between the two, and you know, like. What Cup did last year is not sustainable for this year, but mm-hmm. like as we were watching it unfold last year, I about midseason I, I wrote I think in the walkthrough or somewhere I was like I think this is gonna sustain like he's got all the all the things that you're looking for like he's running a ton of routes he's getting targeted at extremely high rate like the the offense is just running through him and with things like more or less the same there. Um, like I think Allen adding Allen Robinson is probably a good thing because you want that offense to continue to be really high powered. Van Jefferson going to do his deep threat thing, but he's like kind of a Jalen Guyton type where like he he does something that helps the offense, but he doesn't draw a lot of targets. So I think we're looking at a lot of status quo type stuff with Cup. He can probably fall off a little bit and still have a great season. Yeah, if anyone takes him top three, top five, I'm not going to argue that. Uh, me personally, I got Justin Jefferson as uh, my wide receiver one this season. And, and like Pat just said, you know, sometimes uh, Jamar Chase will be going ahead of Justin Jefferson. So if you can, you know, lag behind in that seventh and eighth spot and uh, Justin Jefferson is there, then you're good to go. So, you know, and, and Cooper Cup also, like you said, you know, that's not sustainable. It's a historical season. Um, but, I, I mean, he could come back and get another 1,400 yards and 10 touchdowns and, you know, you'll live with that as long as he's like, you know, still giving you the top end wide receiver one numbers. So, you know, me personally, um, I, I will go uh, running back at number three. But if you take cup in a PPR situation at number three, no need to scold you over that. <laughs> I also don't think the age is a huge concern for cup. Mm-hmm. Like when you see a guy who's like very clearly an elite at the position, 29 is not a huge red flag for me. We've seen great wide receivers, elite wide receivers have awesome 29, even age 30 seasons. So, you know, as much as I want to bet on Jefferson, I like taking the young guys. I, I also do think like Cup is just kind of already there. So it makes sense to grab him. Cup is too good of a route runner for that age 30-ish stuff to really mm-hmm. affect his game. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'll be able to play a long time because of his ability to play outside and inside. I'm five years at least as somebody that matters if he wants to sure uh i I wanted to mention his red zone usage or particularly his inside the 10 yard line usage last year uh led everyone led the entire league with 18 targets inside the 10 the production on those 18 targets was a little insane and i don't i don't know if it's completely sustainable 11 catches out of those 18 targets for nine touchdowns so that's wow. that's a lot that's a lot of production on 18 targets uh so that that's sort of where i i look at that and i say well okay can we really bank on anything close to that this year speaking of usage the steelers are talking about reducing naji harris's role on certain downs which is just a perfectly wonderfully vague statement now lawrence <laughs> i know you wrote about naji recently on nbc sports edge before this news so you know, what do you take away from this news? Any concern, anything to see here? Or is this just like a an early June headline that really is going to prove to me nothing in your mind? Uh, I mean, just like when he came out and said he gained a couple pounds, well, we all thought it was 15 pounds, but we didn't know he already was 240 already. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, uh-huh. But yeah, n- n- nothing to see there. It's cool headlines. This here, uh, I think it's much of the same, especially when you're talking about uh, snap count. Uh, he played over 80% of the snaps last year, including the playoff game. Uh, you look at guys like Jonathan Taylor and uh, Austin Eckler, who have a snap count percentage in the 60s, and those are the two best running backs in fantasy football. And you say, oh, well, they, well, Austin Eckler and his pass catching ability, well, Najee Harris had more catches than any running back in the league. So if Najee Harris goes from, let's say, 80 to 70%, um, I, I think you're still good there. And they have the same running backs that they had last year on the roster. So it's not like they brought in some guy to, you know, steal goal line touches. It's just something to, you know, spell the guy a little bit. Because in true reality, that's what you need in a running back is the most injured position. I feel like the Steelers maybe looked at the stat sheet from last year and were like, <laughs> wait, we gave him how many touches? Was yeah, that <laughs> maybe we need maybe we need to slow that up a little bit, hit the brakes just just a tiny bit. We're we're we'll we'll talk about that at least, but no, it doesn't really move the needle. He's like the ultimate volume based running back selection, and he'll get all the valuable touches inside the ten yard line and and at the goal line. So it, it doesn't doesn't scare me uh, at, at all. I'm not you know I'm not super bullish on taking him where he's going, but. Uh, I don't. I think I still think he's going to be fed until he can no longer stand. Yeah, which downs would would be really helpful to know here? Like they said, certain downs, right. uh, certain right. plays. Uh, could you tell us which plays? Because that, <laughs> that would really make a big difference. I mean, if it's if it's like some between the twenties, first down, second down runs or whatever. Um, you know, we don't care about that. Ben Gretsch's, uh trap stat. You know, like we we don't want the touches that that aren't goal line work and receptions like those are actually where guys maybe could get hurt and and those touches aren't actually delivering a ton of value at the same time like it is a bit of a reminder that Najee Harris didn't have any big plays last season really uh 16 breakaway percentage last year uh which trailed David Montgomery and Josh Jacobs I think he's kind of similar to those backs like he's decently elusive but he doesn't pick up a ton of yards after the catch he's a solid pass catcher but doesn't really deliver a lot of big plays as a pass catcher and this isn't just true of his rookie season but this was his college profile this is what he he didn't really have any long runs in college you know he's gonna play at 240 I, I don't think he's gonna like really change that part of his profile so the path to him paying off in, on ADP is that he gets all the high value touches he probably will but you still don't love to hear this because it's not like he has another out like I, I don't think like he really can be kind of a Jonathan Taylor type who thrives around like 65, 70% of snaps because Jonathan Taylor hits big plays at will. He hits big plays on screen passes in the receiving game. He also has huge long runs. We've never seen that from Najee Harris. That's not what he profiles as. Yeah, I think it was 4.4 yards per touch on those 381 touches for Najee Harris last year, if I read that correctly. Now to Seattle, DK Metcalf reportedly has an unexcused absence from mandatory minicamp, which appears to be contract related. He's also recovering from foot surgery only early June, but it feels like the red flags are kind of piling up with him. Haven't even mentioned the quarterbacks he's going to be playing with. Is he a, is he a clear cut fade for you at ADP and just overall Corrine? Where are you on Metcalf uh, given all this? He's falling in a range where he does become tempting and I I've taken him, um, I'll do stuff because I, I really like Garrett Wilson. He goes so late. I'll take Metcalf and do like a, a Wilson week 17 correlation for my best ball portfolio. Uh, but I, I mean, I am getting a little bit nervous more about the quarterback play, just like kind of, as I think through just how bad the quarterback play is going to be. Um, that that does have me worried. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'd like to get your guys thoughts on the contract situation. If I was Metcalf, I would ultimately just be happy to hit free agents why would you want to get re-signed with the Seahawks like he'll be back he'll be on the field I think Seattle their front office has like made a lot of noise this offseason about like we don't get the receiver market exploding like what what's what's up with this (laughs) of course they don't we're like like this is this is crazy guys uh we're not gonna (laughs) We're, we're not going to be doing that. So I, I, I think that they've given it away. I think that they've like, like basically just said, you know, well, DK was nice, nice having you in a Seahawks uniform and that won't be, 
the case for very much longer. Um, and I, and he knows that I know if, if I know that he knows that, you know, he listens to this show all the time. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think, uh, I think he'll play uh, eventually. And he's, he's going as a, you know, basically a low end wide receiver too in redraft, you know, that's not the worst. I, I don't, I don't hate that ADP. Uh, you, Cortland Sutton's going ahead of him, which seems honestly a little presumptuous to me, but, but yeah, I, I I'm okay with his ADP. I think he's just holding out to wait to see who the quarterback is. We just waiting to see. Right. I don't know who he prefer, but I think he's just going to assess the situation and be like, you know. But then again, these dudes are always subject to fines, so you know he just might be like, you know, let, let's let's try one day and see if I could gain a little ground, you know. But then when the money start racking up, they're like, oh, I got I got to go back. Um, you just said that uh, Corlin Sutton going ahead of him, man. I should have had him as one of my uh, overdraft guys then. But uh, yeah, if that's the case, I- I'm gonna just go with the talent, and I'm gonna go uh, DK Metcalf there for him. It just all depends on where everything is falling in the draft and how the draft is how the draft is going and what kind of run is going on and what have you. But he could be – he's that player right now that could be an extreme value or or an extreme reach. So, for me, he's going to be an extreme value based on the team situation. So, you know, it just depends on the draft and how it's flowing. Yeah. I, I do think he's a little overvalued. Like, I would take the, the Broncos guys ahead of him. And you look at like where Lockett's going in comparison. I mean, Lockett's going so much later than DK Metcalf. And I don't really want to be drafting Lockett. Uh, he, he doesn't excite me. But it's like, why, why do I feel so much better about DK Metcalf than Lockett? And how much of it is related to the fact that DK scored a bunch of touchdowns with Geno Smith last year? Because that's not going to happen again because the team's not going to score any touchdowns. So it feels like maybe we're – because we didn't see it last year. Like it didn't get horrible for DK Metcalf last year. I think it's kind of maybe easy – to just tell ourselves it's not going to get disgusting. No one wants it to get disgusting for DK Metcalf. He's awesome. But I think it could get really, really bad. Like this Seattle team is setting things up to have a horrific season. I will say I did not realize that Tyler Lockett was being drafted as a low-end wide receiver four in 12-team draft. Wow. He's going as wide receiver 30 – I'm sorry, 45 – I mean, wow, that is that is really – he's going, like, around Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Chase Claypool. Man, that's uh, – yeah, I feel like I feel like if I'm going to take a Seattle receiver, I'd rather have him at, at uh, wide receiver 45 than Metcalf at wide receiver 22. Lawrence, you said a minute ago, DK doesn't know who he wants the quarterback to be. Do, who do we want the – who do we want the Seattle quarterback to be? Like, is, is there – is there a world? I mean, one of these guys, Locke or Gino, going to be better for? I, I think it has to be Baker, or or it's going to be like. I mean, they could go winless with with Drew Locke and Gino Smith at quarterback, and the approach they're going to take. Like it's, it could be so bad. Maybe Gino. I don't know, man. You know, Drew Locke going to going to run the ball a little more. So that's going to right. bring the value. So. I, you go with Gino. I, I I think fantasy wise, I think it's very clear that we want Gino Smith starting for for this. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree with that. If between the two, it's got to be Gino. But do you see what we're doing? We're we're saying we hope Gino Smith is the starter. <laughs> the oh, yeah, floor right. is very that, low. That should taste something, right? <laughs> not, it's not, not good. good. I listen. <laughs> I, I I'm uh you know my the Seahawks fans are in my thoughts because I don't think that they quite understand what's, what's happening here and what's coming in 2022. <laughs> All right. Real quick note out of new England. And that is that Ramondre Stevenson is reportedly focusing on his route running and being a third down back. And I mean, not earth shaking news or anything, but I just want to use this as an excuse to hear you guys expectations for this new England backfield. So Denny, where, what's your lean here? Do, do you think it's going to be Damian Harris on most first and second downs, or do you think we might see, a dreaded rotation of series between those guys, which we saw at times last year when both were healthy. Like, h- how do you see this shaking out? At, granted, it's only, it's three months away from the yeah. season, but what, what's your right. guess? I think you have to assume that Damian Harris gets the first crack at being the early down banger, the goal line guy. I mean, he scored 15 touchdowns last year. 
He dominated touches inside the 10 yard line for New England. Ramondre is very exciting. Like I like he is uh, he was the seventh most elusive back in the league per pro football focus. You know, he did a lot with a little as the RB2 there last season. So I am tempted to, you know, to get a lot of him on on my teams. But then again, I mean, he's not he's not free in redraft the way that he was at least through the early part of, of last season. So you, you do have to kind of make a decision on where you stand on him. I think it would be presumptuous. This is the second time I've used that this word in five minutes, but uh, to say, to say, Oh, look, Stevenson's going to take on a bigger role. I don't think that you can assume that. Let's say, let's say that. Josh Norris has been talking about former, former host of this pod, been talking about uh, Ramondre Stevenson. And he was very much on the Damian Harris train last year. Yeah. And he's, he's switched over to Ramondre Stevenson oh. at cost, uh, which makes me feel good. Cause I, I really liked Ramondre Stevenson as a prospect, obviously really liked what I saw last year. So I want to be drafting a lot of Ramondre Stevenson at the same time, Damian Harris's ADP. I don't love, but he'll fall. Like he's one of those guys mm-hmm. where if you, pass on him at ADP like you might get him at like the next turn it, it's happened a couple times for me um and at like you know kind of an eighth ninth round price he is pretty nice as is kind of a zero running back type of target because he might have the goal line role Damian Harris Ramondre Stevenson if he is going to be getting more of the receiving work that could be extremely bullish but James White he's limited right now at minicamp I, I don't know I mean he might be active on game day and, and kind of have his traditional James White role. That still seems up in the air, but it's plausible that that he does have that role, in which case maybe Ramondre is kind of getting boxed out in two directions, um, which would be pretty tough for him. So uh, not a guy that I'm like just drafting in every draft Ramondre Stevenson, but but I do – I think he's a pretty good target. Uh, depending on what happens with James White, and I was just uh, thinking about this, uh, you know, I mean, who knows, man? The how, depending on how Ramondre Stevenson performs, you know, uh, you know, cutthroat Bill, man. He mm-hmm. he don't care. The only person he care about is Matthew Slater. Anybody else, you could be gone, man. So who knows? If they, listen, I, it, if James White, if James White ain't in the picture, then you know you treat Ramondre Stevenson like James, how you used to treat James White, like you know that flex play that come in sometimes that you need every now and again. And mm-hmm. remember James White, he's given us a lot of good one year recently. He uh, finished as a top uh, 10 PPR back. I want to say it was 2019. Maybe you could just treat reminder Stevenson like that. If James White ain't involved, I feel like Damien Harris uh, will be that dude, that runner. And then, but it, but like you said, Pat, if he's, you know, if Ramondre Stevens is getting a little bit of both, then that's a scary situation. If they're, you know, using the three running backs, then it's just like, man, I don't even know if I'm going to get something out of this value of yeah. Ramondre Stevenson. So if it's Ramondre in that James White role, he's like LeGarrette Blunt who catches passes. Like it, it would right. be very fun. Stevenson has, you know, has some pass catching chops, at least had some in uh, in college. So it's, he's not, as uh, Pat Doherty has said last season, last offseason, he's not a zero in the passing game, which is always important. The answer to our questions about the New England backfield is, is pr- probably in the form of Pierre Strong, the rookie who was drafted in uh, this year and, uh, uh, and is apparently an excellent blocker. And we know how important blocking oh, no. is to Bill Belichick because Ramondre Stevenson was put on ice for a month oh, after missing one block. So Pierre Strong... <laughs> Good blocker. File it away. File it away. That Patricia going to have something to say about all this, too, now. That, that, he Unfortunately, looks like, yes. You know, Offensive coordinator, Matt Patricia. He's going to be piling it up. <laughs> oh, man. this the, the answer to the New England backfield is already a headache. Already a massive headache, I think, is where I've landed. <laughs> all right. We're going to get to some of the most overdrafted and overrated players of 2022 in just a second. First, a quick break. And just a reminder, if you don't have the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet, go download it now. The contests are free and easy to play, and you have a shot to win thousands by predicting what will happen in the NBA playoffs on the PGA Tour and NASCAR circuit. We also have a special contest on Tuesday and Thursday called Battle of the Bets, where you can agree or disagree with our experts for a shot to collect some cash. Also, a reminder, we're just a couple months away from the 2022 Fantasy Football Expo in Canton, Ohio. NBC Sports Edge is one of the sponsors. 
Most of the Edge crew will be there. It's a great opportunity to meet some of your favorite experts and to see Pat Crane drinking pumpkin beer in the heat of August, I'm told. It's coming up August 12th, 14th in Canton, Ohio. To learn more, go to thefantasyfootballexpo.com. Crane, uh, pumpkin beer this year, is that the plan? I mean, you gotta you gotta go with what's uh, available. You know, yeah. I, I'm not gonna not gonna commit to a pumpkin beer as we as I sit here today and have not yet installed the <laughs> air conditioner in my living room and I'm quite overheated. So pumpkin oh. beer right now sounds disgusting. <laughs> Does pumpkin beer sound better or worse right now than potato leek soup with whole milk in it? Which which sounds you have worse a choice to of me. warm? I would okay. I would go potato leek. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, the drinking pumpkin beer in August is too much like these people who want to force fall to happen, right? So, like in late late August, when it's still eighty five to ninety degrees outside, people are right. you know they put on their sweaters and Jackets, their little and their, yeah. their cup of coffee. Oh, it's so <laughs> chill! It's the it's not fall. It's not fall, and for another six weeks at that point, like, you know happening. you hot. You know you hot well, right now. Yeah. It was really more that it was like Budweiser or a really good uh, Southern tier pumpkin beer. And I was like, yeah, I'll do that. That's yeah. So I, I actually just completely, uh, this was not a criticism of you. This is a criticism. Of you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's, you guys have each brought three overrated or, and or overdrafted players as of right now. Uh, Lawrence, kick things off for us with your first guy and tell us why you chose him. I'm going to go with Deontay Johnson right here. Um, not because of, him the player um he's always uh sneakily productive just like dj moore is those guys that are good players but they just never kind of get their their real uh due I, I don't know about the quarterback situation right here recent reports show that uh mitchell trubisky is the uh you know the clear starter for right now i, I don't know uh what he's going to be able to produce. Like, I don't know what Mitchell Trubisky is going to be able to produce. Uh, should he be the starter? Uh, you know, he's a runner. Uh, Big Ben definitely was not. You know, then you got Chase Claypool there as well. You got George Pickens coming into the fold. Najee Harris, who caught 74 passes last season. And then it's Mitchell Trubisky at quarterback. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, he did produce uh, – he he did have Allen Robinson as wide receiver eight in 2019, but David Montgomery that same year was running back 24. We really feel like Najee Harris going to, you know, drop that much. I don't know. Najee's got to get his love there. So just a, a new situation. Uh, the guys I'd rather have over him are, you know, Jalen Waddle, Jerry Judy a little later, Brandon Cooks a little later. Uh, even Rashad Bateman a little later uh, than taking a plunge on uh, Deontay Johnson. Looks like he's going at wide receiver 19 on underdog. I, I, I don't think that's like egregious or anything. Um, do I find myself targeting Deontay Johnson at that part of the draft? No, I, I don't. I mean, you know, so so I, I guess I, I'm not super interested in where he's going in, in, in redraft formats. You know, I will say he has proven himself – a guy who like command commands targets. Like it just, it just happens it, for, no matter who's at quarterback. Uh, so perhaps that can carry over, but you know, Lawrence is right. in saying that Trubisky is a guy who, you know, he'll take off. Like he will leave the pocket and run for that first down instead of do what Ben Roethlisberger did for years and years, which is sit there like a statue and throw five yard passes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Deontay Johnson made his, you know fantasy living off of that this is such a june conversation that we're even talking about mr Trubisky. i mean you take kenny pickett in the first round in a in a class where he's the only quarterback in the first two rounds if you don't start him week one like you are just embarrassing yourself i think that you know sure in mini camp trubisky's the starter week one of training camp trubisky's probably the starter he's not going to be the starter week one i i really really do not think so and if he is, I think very, very quickly we're seeing Kenny Pickett. Unless they've made a huge mistake and are willing to admit it publicly to the world. You know, Kenny Pickett, everyone agreed, was the most pro-ready quarterback in the class and not a particularly high-ceiling quarterback. So if you're drafting a guy because he's pro-ready, you got to start him. I think if we do see Pickett, you know, a rookie quarterback who's like not that exciting is, is not that exciting. But if you look at 
Ben Roethlisberger last year. I mean, he was really bad. Quarterback 29 in completion percentage over expected. Here's some quarterbacks that had better EPA per play than Ben Roethlisberger last season. <laughs> Baker Mayfield, Taysom Hill, Trevor Simeon, Daniel Jones, Taylor Heineke. I mean, the fact that Deontay Johnson was playing oh. efficiently, not even just productive, but playing efficiently with this version of Ben Roethlisberger is very impressive. Like, I don't think the bar is actually all that high for what we need from Kenny Pickett to support him. He had 1.61 yards per hour in 2019 as a rookie when he was playing with like, what was it, like Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph and everything. And we're, we're making a bunch of excuses for Juju Smith-Schuster over that same time period where he saw his production absolutely crater, his efficiency crater. We've never seen that for Deontay Johnson. Over, over a period where we're like, you know, it's not Juju's fault that he never had over one and a half yards per hour run in any of these three seasons. Now, you know, he'll be good now that he's with Mahomes. Johnson was great in all three seasons, and one of them was his rookie season. So I think that, you know, as he slips, and he is slipping, he's in the fourth round now. When he was going right by Jalen Waddle, I wasn't taking him. But now that he is kind of slipping more into the fourth, I'm okay. I'm okay grabbing him there. I like, you know, I like taking some Ravens. Nice little mini correlation with those guys, the Week 17 matchup. So uh, I'm not like hammering Deontay Johnson, but I, I do think he's coming at a little bit of a discount now that may evaporate once Pickett starts to make it clear he'll be starting soon. Hey, if you give me Pickett, I'm sold. I mean, hey, Davis Mills, you know, made Brandon Cooks great again. So it's all good. And he was a third-round rookie. So, hey, you give me Pickett, I'm with it. All right, uh, Karain, who's your first guy, your first overdrafted, overrated guy? Uh, Mike Evans, for me, as his ADP seems to be on the rise, uh, he was kind of going at the, like the 2-3 turn early early third. I was like, yeah, I get this. He moved into the late second. That took me a minute. I was like, I don't know, this seems pricey. He's now in the mid-second. And I saw him today go over Debo Samuel. And this feels to me like the type of price – that like, it's hard for me to imagine how you win drafting mm -hmm. Mike Evans at this price today because we still have the Gronkowski uncertainty. So let's say Gronkowski retires. Does Evans really move up from here? Like, who is he jumping? Is he jumping CD Lamb? Like, who is he jumping at this point? You're kind of already like pricing in Gronkowski not being around. But of course, Gronkowski, I think, will play for the Buccaneers. And if he does come back and, you know, is in training camp, like, I have to imagine that probably hurts the projections that are that are boosting Evans up rankings right now. So I, I feel like you're kind of you're not factoring that in maybe enough if you're taking him at like, you know, with the 17th pick in the draft or something. This is also, I think, fueled by projections that are reasonably accounted for the fact that Chris Godwin is not going to be fully healthy to start the season. And you do have to factor that in is he will be more productive in those early weeks, I think. But those early weeks are not what win us money in fantasy football win mm -hmm. us money and in these like basketball tournaments the only thing that makes you money is having really strong week 17 and, and the playoff weeks before that and even in you know traditional leagues we need to win our playoffs so i i am not it's like persuaded by the idea that he's going to have this really strong start to the season and that alone is worth it in part because godwin is still going in the fifth it's not like the market is completely out on Godwin. That, you know, Godwin's going to miss half the season or something. So, you know, if Godwin, if there's still optimism for Godwin, and then we know Godwin by the end of the season will probably be Brady's preferred target just based on the way that he plays. So Evans potentially falling off in the weeks that matter most. And then, like, I know we're not supposed to bring this up anymore because it's been we've just been burned so many times. But Brady does turn 45 in August. He turns <laughs> 45. Stop. I know, I know, I know. I know we're not, not allowed. I know we're not allowed. But he did he did retire. That. He actually retired from the game of football. Then he came back. You know why he retired? Because he got hit like three times in the playoffs and he actually He's like, Oh, I've got such a bad line. He had a great line. He can't handle it. By the end of the season, he's probably complaining about getting sacked again. He might he might finally tail. I mean, we've seen this with the with the quarterbacks when when it goes, it does tend to go and if it if it goes for Brady, I think the thing that would really hurt Evans is like, is he is he the air yard guy? Evans is the air yard guy. Is Brady going to be able to deliver those air yards for him? Uh, again, in the back half of the season, 
once Godwin is back. So all in all, I just feel like we're overpaying for early season production. I'm going to be quick with Mike Evans. You know, um, am I going to scoop him in the second round? Nah. But this is what I know. 1,000 yards, 8 to 10 touchdowns, it's going to happen no matter what. So whatever, like, that ranks him, that's what he going to get. Right. That's what he do every year, no matter what, no matter who, no matter who there, no matter who ain't. 1,000 yards, 8 to 10 touchdowns. Book that right, but it's thirteen and fourteen touchdowns the last two seasons respectively. I feel a little bit like you're paying up for, you're you're kind of drafting that, which is hard to to expect, right? I mean, if he does fall into the eight range, I mean, then then he's a wild overpay. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, got to give you the thirteen to fourteen, you know, for the second. That's why I said I'm not gonna take it to Instagram, but it's just because I have that doubt. But it's just gonna happen again. Thousand yards, eight right. touchdowns. It'll, it'll. If I don't pick him, he'll beat me in my leagues. That's how it's gonna go. That's how it's gonna go. That's how you play it. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think that he would kill you at ADP. But I do agree with what Crane was saying, and that you're very likely today drafting Evans at his ceiling, uh, mm-hmm. and I mean like season long ceiling. Like it might, it might look good and feel great for the first like three to six weeks of the season. And, you know, you look, you look like a genius, but you know, Godwin's return is a, is a, is a real issue uh, and will be a real issue for Evan. So I'm, I'm fading him. Uh, but I do, I don't think that he like, he like crushes you, but I don't think that Kareem was saying that anyway. Yeah. If he goes back right, to like the early third, I'm, I'm fine. Denny, who's your first of three. My first of three is Jerry Judy, which I know I'm probably going to be in an Island here. Cause I, I feel like I'm talking with guys who, who loved them some Broncos pass catchers. Yeah, you're done. Uh, <laughs> but but let me let me let me at least throw an argument out there. So you know, Russell Wilson has uh, although he is like the completion rate over expected king of kings apparently. I've confirmed this right before the the show. Uh, he has struggled through parts of his career in intermediate accuracy. Uh, Denver beat writers have acknowledged this and said that the team is, you know, the team is aware the Broncos are aware of it and will adjust uh, accordingly. Uh, You know, through two seasons, Jerry Judy has a 7.8 yards per target, uh, 10.7 a dot last year, uh, which was a distant third uh, to Corlin Sutton and Tim Patrick for Denver. So I do, I think that Judy as probably the primary intermediate pass catcher for Russell Wilson I feel like his his prospects are a little shakier than we might think because Wilson is has not been great on on those type of throws that Judy gets. Now, if Judy's uh, usage changes and and he gets way more down look uh, downfield looks, which is obviously possible, then this argument looks silly, and I'll I'll beg NBC to delete this podcast. But uh, but, but as of now, I I'm I'm a little hesitant to take him at ADP. I do see the argument with Judy and. I do agree that there is some downside here that could be pretty significant. Uh, it's a risky pick in some ways. There's a lot of routes that like, you know, if you're looking to project the Broncos, it's like there's a lot of guys that you need to get routes for that you just like you run out of routes real quick because yeah. Tim Patrick's going to be out there a lot. KJ Hamler's got to be out there. They've now got this pass catching tight end. Um, ben Albright was talking about how he thinks there's going to be kind of a, a split workload. A lot of mouths to feed in the sense of like just getting the guys on the field and judy spent most of his time in the slot last year which would lead you to believe maybe he's someone that only runs like 75 80 percent of the routes which would be a huge blow to his production um at this adp however like he did have a rookie a dot of 14.6 that was somewhat driven by the fact that sutton was out and so they like needed someone to stretch the field and that's not really his strength as a receiver but he was decent as a rookie. He was not bad in that role. wasn't great, but like given the quarterback play, uh, he was still pretty pretty darn good. One point eight five last year, playing with terrible quarterback play. Um, so, frankly, I think like basically the argument for me with Judy is like he's good. He's about to get a huge quarterback upgrade, and I don't think Tim Patrick is that good. So if it comes down to like who's keeping him off the field, and I get to bet that. Judy eventually makes the cases to to a new coaching staff that, you know, he should be on the field more than Tim Patrick. 
Uh, I think Judy will probably ultimately win that. But yeah, the intermediate stuff is a, is a little concerning. I, I ultimately have come around to Sutton over Judy. I mean, this is a <laughs> this is a faith pick for me. <laughs> I'm still trusting the tape from Alabama. Uh, like Pat said, uh, he was pretty solid as a rookie. Uh, despite the quarterback play over 850 yards, uh, over 50 catches, uh, low catch percentage rate, but that's cool. We, we get the quarterback uh, upgrade. Now, uh, Pat, you mentioned Tim Patrick. I feel the same way. The only thing that would pull me in is that they just signed him. I envision it being, you know, Corlin Sutton, Jerry Judy, and K.J. Hamler. I mean, it, this dude, Jerry Judy, was the, the first round. He was a first round pick. Mm-hmm. Like, you you drafted him to be that dude. And, and now you just have to put that talent. I'm basically trusting his talent. He's still young, uh, not far removed from college. And I'm trusting the the, the big quarterback upgrade. And uh, I, I'm just going to go with that. And, uh, and I like him. Judy all the way. Just don't walk out the practice field no more. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I sometimes uh, forget to factor in if a guy is good, and Jerry Judy <laughs> might just be good. It's very on brand that Denny only brings up good players on the overdrafted show. <laughs> <laughs> why, why get Judy when you could get Hamler? Is what I'm asking. <laughs> oh, I'm just looking back at last year. Okay, never mind. He got hurt right away. Okay, yeah. All right, Lawrence, I think we're staying in Denver for your second player. So uh, send it our way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, Javante Williams, uh, just, uh, I mean, for me, it's playing his day. He's, you know, he's early second round ADP. Um, and we're acting like Melvin Gordon wasn't the leading rusher on the <sighs> team last year. Now, a lot of folks or a lot of us are, you know, not us because I ain't included in that is just assuming that, oh, well, the split's going to change a little bit. You know, it'll go Maybe so. That's kind of how you would figure. But, man, people are going to go nuts if in week one, the first running back you see go out there yeah. is Melvin Gordon. <laughs> like, that game, whatever that time comes, Javante Williams might end up playing 60% of the snaps. But people will go nuts at Melvin Gordon, especially since, like, he didn't even sign till late in the process. But right. he's still a good running back. I mean, I'm 100% taking him over Javante Williams at cost. But it's I feel like uh, because he's in his second year, obviously he's going to get a little better, knows the game a little more. Um, I don't see any type of, uh, you know, top five upside. He got top five upside talent, but we're bringing Melvin Gordon back, which is actually good for their football team. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we're expecting him, Melvin Gordon, to be some clear backup. That's not mm-hmm. going to be the case. They need Melvin Gordon to to win football games. So early second round, um, I'm good. Give me my boy. Give me a guy like Cam Akers. Hell, give me Saquon Barkley as my RB2 on my team. If I start out running back, running back, give me Saquon Barkley instead because why? He doesn't have a guy who's going to take 35 to 40 to 45% of the snap count. So that's where I'm at with it with Javante Williams. Well, the market agrees with you, Lawrence, because Saquon Barkley now on underdog going ahead of Javante Williams. Williams has fallen all the way to the early third there. And at that price, like – we lost your audio. So Javante, it strikes me as like the the perfect profile for like a monster second year breakout in every way, except for the fact that Melvin Gordon is still there. And so so people will will hold on to that first part while trying to ignore the second part. This is you know getting to what Lawrence was was pointing to here. You know, and then eventually you end up, if you take uh, Javante Williams at ADP, then you end up like wishing and hoping. And that's that's uh, right. that's a tough place to be uh, if you if you spend that sort of draft capital on on a running back and uh, Javante Williams in this case. 
it's it's remember last year i remember on the sunday recap shows and the thursday preview shows it was like an obligatory check-in like where are we on this melvin yeah. gordon javante yeah. williams seesaw and we just kept hoping it would teeter more in the direction of javante williams i don't see why why is that going to be different this season you know like you said it feels like hope is the reason like wanting the <laughs> the exciting explosive javante williams to be the guy versus like signals that he is going to be the guy and maybe we'll see those in the next couple months but as of now, I'm kind of with Lawrence. Like, I'm I'm scared of I'm scared of Melvin Gordon in the sense of he's back. Like, him being gone to me felt like the path to Javante Williams. But but um, you're gonna be feeling good when you get Melvin Gordon in that ninth round. You gonna yeah. be feeling good. You're like, oh, I got me a flex in the ninth round. He yeah. might be 29, but he's rolling, yeah. stealing yeah. all them touchdowns. I, I will be upset if Javante drafters are bailed out by you know not. No one's wishing this or anything, but bailed out by an injury to Melvin Gordon. Right, right. Because yeah, a Denver backfield with only Javante. I mean, he's he's in the running to be the RB one o- overall in that in that sort of circumstance. One hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> is still working on his audio. So Denny, uh, hit us with your yeah. second overrated, overdrafted guy. All right, I have uh, Rashad Bateman. Uh, he's going as wide receiver 27 on underdog right now. It's I, I don't think that he's going to go that high when more casual drafters get involved here, but we'll just go with wide receiver 27. I, I think that that is significantly overpriced if you believe the team when the team says we want to get back to our roots. We want to establish the run. We want to play slow. We want to run it in the red zone. Like, you know, uh, uh, Kyle and I talked uh, with Matt on Tuesday about how it was uh, 2021 was the perfect formula for a run first team like Baltimore to suddenly uh, get not not pass heavy, but um, but, you know, a a more um, balanced uh, offensive attack, which they had last year, which sent pass pass uh, routes spiking for the receivers for. Uh, Mark Andrews and you know so we can't I don't think that we can depend on that in fact I think we can sort of depend on the opposite uh, of that happening let, let me tell you about 2019 with the Ravens offense Marquise Brown led all Ravens wide receivers in 2019 with 46 receptions on 71 targets he finished as the wide receiver 47 in fantasy the Ravens that year had by far the lowest early down pass rate and had a 46% overall pass rate. That was the lowest in the NFL. Um, I, I don't know where Bateman's opportunities are going to come from, even if he is the, the wide receiver one. It is sort of like a situation where you say, oh, he's a wide receiver one. So what? Like in the, in this offense, so what? Denny, 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 today, <laughs> you just don't want to be my friend today, Denny. <laughs> oh, no. Are, are you a Bateman actually, guy? I, actually. I, I'm going to be with you here. I think, obviously, I don't think the Ravens would mind getting back to what they were doing in, in 2019. There, Here's the thing, though. That team in 2019, they were always winning. Right. Um, I, I'm not sure, you know, with the emergence of the Bengals and other teams in the AFC, the Chargers, the Broncos, just everybody getting a little bit better. Everybody tightening up a little more on defense. They, I don't think they're going to just roll teams like that, like, like they did in 2019. And therefore, they still going to have to pass. They might not throw it 35 times a game mm-hmm, right. that they did with Lamar. But, I mean, in that style of play, the team was 8-3 and three when Lamar left. So they could win like that. Um, so this is what I'm banking on. I don't think they're just going to be beating up and running over teams like that week in and week out. There's going to be games where they're, they're going to have to drop back. They're going to have to throw. And uh, in my opinion, and, and it's no diss to Hollywood, I, I love him dearly with Lamar. Uh, Rashad Bateman is a whole different animal than that of Marquise Hollywood Brown. And if Marquise Hollywood Brown – could uh, go out there and uh, snatch almost 1,100 yards, uh, then that's – I would say that 1,000 yards would be the floor for a player like Rashad Bateman. Again, basing this on just 
you know, the perception that that they ain't just going to run over everybody and run for another 3,000 total yards. That's tough to do. Right. We think Corrine is back. Corrine? Yeah. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, we can. I'm on my phone because uh, my computer decided that it was uh, it was taking the rest of the afternoon off. So, yeah, I, I got to defend Rashad Bateman here as well. So what? The guy's a wide receiver one. So what? I mean, come on. He's a wide receiver one on this team. And, like, by the way, he is going to be the wide receiver one on this team. Devin Duvernay last season, there were only two wide receivers in the league that had 40-plus targets and finished worse in yards per hour run. Duvernay had 0.71 yards per hour run. Only Jalen Rager and Demarcus Robinson were less efficient than Devin Duvernay. And Duvernay's really the, the main competition to take some of that downfield work that opened up with Marquise Brown leaving. So I think Bateman, you know, he was he did not have a good rookie season, but it wasn't a disaster. He's competing against guys like Tylen Wallace, who did have kind of a disastrous rookie season. James Prochet, who's like just a, a complete slot receiver, doesn't really add a ton of playmaking ability. So it's really down to Mark Andrews and Rashad Bateman. They took this guy in the first round. I think you don't trade Marquise Brown and then bring in no one else unless you think Rashad Bateman can kind of step into that number one wide receiver role. Um, obviously, they're definitely going to be way more run-heavy than they were last year. But we wanted Marquise Brown in years past um, because you know he's going to get some really high-value downfield targets. When he wasn't dropping the ball, he delivered. So I think with Rashad Bateman, we get to bet on a really strong prospect profile. I mean, just a hyper-productive, hyper-efficient receiver in college, first-round draft capital. Get to bet on a second-year breakout. We get to bet on just projected volume. Like, there's, it's kind of all there. Uh, obviously, the offense overall is probably going to be uh, more limited in the volume than we'd like. But last year reminded us that, that that stuff can be somewhat fragile, and it can be fragile on, like, a week-to-week basis where maybe most weeks – they are pretty run heavy, but then they get in a few shootouts. Okay, so there are three guys going right around Bateman who I would much prefer over Bateman. Uh, we have Gabe Davis, we have Brandon Cooks, and we have Darnell Mooney, and I, I would take all those guys over over Bateman. You're getting a, a talented player in a great offense. Mooney feels like you're projecting the same kind of target volume stuff, except Mooney hasn't been efficient. He's an undersized player. It's harder for me to see him like really breaking out. Uh, obviously, pretty good downfield, but I'd rather I'd rather bet on the Ravens' offense than the Bears. That's probably a good bet. <laughs> All right, number six on our list, Corrine, is your second player. I think you've got two commanders on your list. Which one do you want to go with first? All right, so let's let's talk about why no one's draft Terry McLaurin now that I'm now that I'm back on the stream. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'm not excited about this commander's offense, as evidenced by the fact that I'll, I'll about, I'm about to talk about another guy. Uh, first of all, McLaurin, though, I, I do want to say he's a good wide receiver. Last mm-hmm. year he had 1.81 yards per outrun with Taylor Heineke, quarterback. That's impressive to be able to pull that off with the level of quarterback play. Mm-hmm. He also dealt with an offense that was shifting away from the pass. I think Washington tr- kind of tried to do what they were probably planning to do with Ryan Fitzpatrick, be this aggressive uh, pass-first team. They, they tried that for as long as they possibly could with Heineke, and then they kind of admitted that it wasn't working. Week 11 on, they went super run-heavy, minus 6% pass rate over expected. So in a best-case scenario, you bring in Carson Wentz, and you kind of get the early-season version of Washington, which would have some more volume for McLaurin. Wentz likes throwing downfield, so you get that downfield volume, which suits his, his play style. So it all looks pretty good, except the Colts did the same thing that Washington did last year, but they did it even more. And they did it with Carson Wentz at quarterback from week 13 on, they had a minus 12% pass rate over expected. They were fully trying to hide Wentz. We also know that like behind the scenes, they were like, we are completely out on this guy, you know, kind of all just blew up for them. Wentz finished 27th in completion percentage over expected last season. Taylor Heineke was ninth. Uh, Taylor Heineke was ninth, uh, 19th, excuse me. And um, Wentz was more efficient in EPA per play, but he's moving to a worse offensive line. He no longer has the best running back in football. So it, it feels like overly optimistic right now to see Terry McLaurin going ahead of Gabriel Davis. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really do like Gabriel Davis. 
He also goes ahead of running backs that I think, you know, dead zone running backs, but exciting, young, talented guys like Brees Hall, Travis Etienne. He also goes ahead of George Kittle. If you want to get that elite tight end, he goes ahead of Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, if you want to get the elite quarterback. So like kind of no matter what my positional need, I'm like staring at Terry McLaurin. I'm, I feel like I have ways to pivot. And ultimately, I just don't want to make big bets on this Carson Wentz led offense where I think like we could see Wentz even get significantly worse than losing to the Jaguars to miss the playoffs because of the offensive line downgrade. We've had we've had a fair amount of disagreement on the wide receivers so far. Denny and Lawrence, are you guys either of you have a strong pushback on uh, on for Terry McLaurin? Pushback. I don't got no pushback on this one. I agree with this one. I mean, would, would y'all take Allen Robinson over Terry McLaurin? That's a close one right there. That is close. Yeah. <laughs> I think probably I would just banking on touchdowns. Does yeah. anyone really think Wentz is? Does anyone think Wentz is better than Heineke? Like, is, is Wentz? Do you think he actually is? I think Are we he's sure like, about. I think he's positive. It's debatable. I think he's a big improve, a big, a big upgrade. Honestly, I, I okay. I, I I'm not saying I'm not a Carson Wentz guy. I'm not like oh well, he's been you know he's gotten the raw deal last last couple of years. <laughs> no, 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 no. He's been bad. But t- Taylor Heineke, like, sh- okay. He should he should not be in the league like like he should be in the USFL and and Car- Carson Wentz is a pro style quarterback at least he style. did he, t- Taylor Heineke did go to Atlanta and beat the Falcons give him credit for that oh that pop fly touchdown where the Falcons <laughs> safety I like took the wrong route or something what happened on that play oh, it was McLaurin who caught that right you know God gave him credit for beating the Falcons. you do do you remember that throw do you remember you guys remember that throw it hung in the yeah. air for days. Yeah. <laughs> Heineke got McLaurin concussed on a throw. So, I mean, I do. Yeah, there's, I don't mean to defend Heineke. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think he got McKissick concussed, maybe. Oh, was it McKissick? I thought it was. Uh, anyway, he got McKissick concussed too. Anyway, he's a, I think Heineke, like Washington, the only success they had last year was when they hid Heineke as if he was not even on the field. Like they became one yeah. of the, if not the run heaviest team for a stretch there. Uh, because they could, because the defense was holding up okay. Anyway, long story short, I, I you you asked Lawrence Robinson or McLaurin. I would go McLaurin. All right, uh, we still got three names left. Let's uh, let's go express round here with these last three. Lawrence, tell us your thoughts on your final guy out of three. Yeah, yeah, quick one right here, Elijah Moore, and it's simple. You know, you got Garrett Wilson, you got Elijah Moore, and to some degree, you got uh Chris. I'm sorry. Uh, what his name is? Corey Davis. Oh, Corey Davis. Corey Davis. Right, right. You got you got him there. Um, if Garrett Wilson gonna be this, we talked about this before, Pat. If Garrett Wilson, you know, gonna be that, and and Elijah Moore was good when he played last year, but uh, how good could he possibly be, or how good could two receivers possibly be? Give me a guy like uh, Alan Lazard over that. Hell, give me Traylon Burks. Uh, over over Elijah Moore, uh, they around the same range, so I, I think that's a dude that's being uh, overvalued and overdrafted. Agree, I agree to the point when you sent this out, I was like, ah, I should have picked Elijah Moore. Uh, <laughs> I I wanted to bet on Elijah Moore. I you know I think he looked great as a rookie. One of the things we thought maybe as a prospect is that he wouldn't have uh, a role in the outside. He'd be more of a slot guy. He looks like. You know, as a rookie, okay, you can do everything. But then they they draft Garrett Wilson. I don't think they're going to play Elijah Moore over Corey Davis in two wide receiver sets. And I think they will play, or they plan to play. We'll see if, if the talent situation cooperates. But Garrett Wilson, very, very strong prospect. And I think they probably plan to play him on the outside over Elijah Moore. One of the things I really like about betting on wide receivers is that I don't have to really deal with, like, coaching decisions as much, nearly as much as, as that running back. It's like the guys are going to be out there. Their talent can help me be right. Like if I'm picking the better guy, even if the coach doesn't think that, like because multiple guys are all out there together, uh, the, the better wide receiver can earn the target. Elijah Moore does have situations where maybe he's not even on the field to the extent of Corey Davis and uh, and Garrett Wilson if they view him as kind of a slot receiver. I'm, I'm nervous that they do after they, they took Garrett Wilson so high. Uh, no, I'm I'm with you. I I just don't know where the volume is going to come from, especially because uh, I would I would think that the Jets are going to be as run heavy as they possibly can be, unless Zach Wilson has made some giant year two leap that we are not yet aware of. 
right, so we basically have two consensus players in a row. Denny, your final guy is Dawson G Knox the fourth. I don't know if that's his name. I just uh, I, I bought it. I bought it. <laughs> I didn't know he's a fourth. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> you didn't know. Uh, yeah, he's going as uh, tight end eight or nine, depending on on where you look. Going ahead of guys like uh, Rob Gronkowski, uh, who is currently not in the NFL, but we'll see. Uh, <laughs> Irv uh, Smith and uh, Zach Ertz. I would like all of those guys over Knox. Uh, last season, Knox, you know, kind of skated by on uh, um, touchdown uh, production. More than 18% of his receptions went for touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Um, he was targeted on 16% of his pass routes last year. That's in line with guys like CJ Uzama and Hayden Hurst and Will Disley, who the Seahawks obviously love. Uh, among tight ends that ran more than 400 routes, Dawson Knox had the fifth lowest yards per route run, uh, which is, of course is a measure of efficiency. They got O.J. Howard. They signed O.J. Howard this offseason, talking about the Bills. So I just – I don't know. I don't see it. I, I don't think that it's like the worst possible pick that you can make, taking him as tight end eight in, in like a best ball or whatever. But uh, I, I think that you could fade him and wait another round or two to get the guys I mentioned earlier, Ertz and, and whatnot. This is very off-brand for you because I do think Dawson Knox is a pretty bad player. He, he gets there on routes. <laughs> He gets there on, you know, just being a part of a good offense. I think, you know, O.J. Howard, I think, is is a problem for him, not because he's going to, like, take the job, but, like, Dawson Knox mm. gets there by running every single route, and then he right. is not efficient on those routes, as you were pointing out. If you then lose routes, that's a major problem. And, like, O.J. Howard can run 25 35% of the routes, and Dawson Knox can go – from like, you know, we're thinking he's a borderline top 10 tight end to someone like that isn't even really on the fantasy radar because he's not efficient on the work that he gets. So uh, I, I completely agree. Lawrence, um, where are you on Dawson G. Knox, the fourth? Just um, the fourth. Oh, I, I was going to definitely bring up all the touchdowns. I remember halfway through last year, I brought that up and then he just kept getting touchdowns. Well, I'll be then if he continued that to 2022, uh, you know, I'll add this too. Uh, Jamison Crowder uh, should provide a, a nice slot option there. One that'll probably be better than what Cole Beasley was. Um, so you know, yeah, I'm good. I, I, I like David Njoku over uh, Dawson Knox. So yeah, there you go with that. All right, last player of nine, overdrafted, overrated. Karen, you have the honors here. Yeah, it's uh, Antonio Gibson. He's in kind of a, a gross part of the draft where, like, I don't have a problem. Like, if you're taking Antonio Gibson there, you need the running back or whatever, like, okay. But he is – he's, like, to me, like, feeling very dead zone You know, he's uh-huh. this guy who's he's on an offense that I don't like. He's probably the early down guy, but they just drafted Brian Robinson. Uh, he's boxed out of receiving work. And Gibson has been decent as a receiver, and we were really – I was – Really excited about him last year. His potential taking a step forward as a receiver. He had this really strong collegiate profile as a converted receiver. But he's been good as a receiver, but not great. I don't think he's going to force the issue. I think we have enough evidence of him as an NFL player that we probably shouldn't expect him to do that. You know, even if McKissick were to get hurt, Carson Wentz isn't the type of guy that's going to be checking down to his running backs a ton. So, like, you know, mm-hmm. you, you want a guy who's going to consolidate this entire backfield if you're betting on a Washington running back. And it feels like there's really no chance of that happening because of the addition of Brian Robinson. So if I'm investing in this offense, which I've been very clear that I don't, I don't want to be doing, but if I am like, why wouldn't I just take like Logan Thomas or something who's completely free, you know, and I'm betting that he comes back from this ACL tear late in the season. Carson Wentz loves throwing to the tight end. Like that's the type of bet I can stomach on this offense uh, or even Brian Robinson, super late. Like he, he's very, very cheap. Uh, it just feels like a lot to pay for Gibson. Like I would much rather have Miles Sanders, who's going uh, way further down. You can imagine a scenario where the Eagles' offense is kind of Ravens-esque in its efficiency. Uh, Miles Sanders, a good breakaway runner. You know, I know he didn't score a touchdown last year. That was fluky. He should get some goal opportunities this year. So, like, I want Gibson in that range, um, or maybe even a little after. And he, he's, uh, you know around two rounds ahead of the uh, the Miles Sanders range. J.D. McKissick catching 43 passes last year is just enough for me 
to you know you know say that at that value like you say pat that uh you know i'm i'm good on that um then you add in to the fact that uh brian robinson may or may not be uh some type of threat in the early down game um that depends on how he plays in camp um so at, at his at his current price and, and this was a dude i coming into last year i had him as a top 10 running back and that just slapped me right in the jaw like will smith so i know i, I can't do it again jd mckissick like this dude swerved on the bills the bills to come to washington yeah, yeah. <laughs> like like if he's doing that, he's like, oh, I'm going to catch these passes here. Let me go ahead and go back here. So I'm good, man. And it made the, it made the Bills so mad that they drafted a, a running back early. You know? Exactly. I mean, that, that, that really uh, messed up their, their offseason plans. Yeah, I, I don't know what to do with Gibson. Who, you know, it's, it's, it's frustrating because, you know, he, the talent is clearly there. And, and, like, he should be able to be, like, a really good pass catcher out of the backfield as – as a guy who was a wide receiver Literally, by trade. Yeah. Um, so it's, it is, it's super frustrating. The only thing I'll say, yes, I agree with everything you guys have said. The only thing I'll say is that come draft season, if we're hearing about Brian Robinson is going to get early down and McKissick's going to get all the pass catching stuff. And we don't know where Gibson's going to fall. If he, if his ADP then plunges, uh-huh. there is a point where I'm very excited to take Antonio Gibson as a guy who could stumble upon volume again and be good again. Where is that point for you, Danny? Like the 14th round. No. Because he's not too far ahead of like Tony Pollard, <laughs> Kareem Hunt. Like, right, right. So you have to fall after those guys? I think so. So, yeah, uh, right now, looking at underdog ADP, like he's going, like you said, uh, uh, well before Sanders, uh, Miles Sanders, Pollard, Damian Harris, Hunt. He would have to fall past those guys, yeah, for me to be interested. All right, that's the end of our list. Uh, before we go, anything you guys want to mention on NBC Sports Edge that you got coming up or uh, have already done? Got our team previews rolling out. Yep. Next week. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen. Take a minute to rate and review us as well. We are back Tuesday and Thursday of next week. I want to say thanks to everyone for listening and watching live. Denny, Lawrence, Corrine, thanks, guys. See you next week.